Let's travel the world together She can make it easy and in any kind of weather No TSA, no bad checks, no patting down She's talking from the skies and sending lives a feel-good sounds Oh, Betty, in the sky, have you heard her yet? She loves traveling, there's no doubt Betty and the Jets She's weird and wonderful Oh, Betty, she's a podcast queen She's wearing high heel shoes Got her wings on, too You know I've never seen a better stew Oh, Betty and the Jets Hello, and welcome to Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I'm Betty. I'm a flight attendant for a major airline, and I bring you stories from the airplane, from the flight attendants and the pilots, and from traveling around the world. In this episode, we have stories about soap, the Galapagos, fox squirrels, afros, pants and splits. The music for this show is from listener-composer Christine. It's called Wild Iris in the Rain, and I will put a link to her YouTube video. Let's get on with the show. This comes from listener Dave, and he said his dad back in the 70s and 80s was a director of catering and in-flight services for Pan Am. You know, I love Pan Am stories. So when Pan Am and Boeing got together on a handshake to produce the 747, they ordered quite a few of them. And the last part of any aircraft production is to award its certificate of airworthiness. And one of the final checks is the evacuation drill which I think back then was they had to have it done in two minutes. And you only get two chances to pass. So this was a massive deal. Well, in all their wisdom, they sent the good old jumbo jet down to Florida and needed to fill it up with passengers to pass the test. But it carried so many people, they thought they would just stick an ad in the local paper to fill her up. Well, plenty of responses, probably due to the offer of a quick buck and a free sandwich. So the day came and they loaded it up with passengers to do the evacuation drill. But the flaw in the plan was location, location, location. Everyone with free time on an afternoon in Florida was pretty much 70 years or older. And it took them two minutes just to get out of their seat. And they failed the test miserably. They only had one more shot to pass, so they sent the plane to JFK and filled it up with staff. Job done. <laughs> so the 747 might never have been. Now, uh, I I like this story, and it also reminded me, uh, I've been through a few airline trainings, and um, they're always stressful because, uh, in general, I can't speak for everyone, you're so excited to have the job that you made it that far, and then you're in training, and then there's a bunch of tests, and there's a bunch of evacuations, and it's just a stressful time. And at People Express, uh, we were in Newark, New Jersey, and like was the last day or the second to last day of training. You've moved. You've been in this training. I was in a house with five other flight attendants living on an air mattress. And now the test was at People Express. Thank goodness it's not at the airline I work for now because oh, it was stressful. Just like in that Pan Am story, they brought in strangers off the street, put them on a plane, and you had to evacuate them in a certain amount of time. Okay, we'll say two minutes. Uh, 
the whole plane. And they had to go down the slides and everything. And we had one girl on that day. She didn't pass. And they sent her home. And then another girl threw up. Because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you really want the job. You've already been in training. You've already moved. And then to be sent home. I think my stomach was upset that day also. You know, with the pandemic, the airlines have gone crazy with the sanitizer and cleaning the planes and all handing you sanitizer. And they installed sanitizer stations on the plane where they have like a metal shelf with some hand sanitizer. But what they didn't think about, and as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh boy, this is going to be dangerous. Uh, that we walk and walk and walk during the service. And when you have a protruding, a protruding metal surface, we're bound to hit it because the really dangerous, like every single flight attendant has a scar on their arm from the lavatory door and the passengers don't know how to open it. And they think that the even though it doesn't look like any door handle known to man, they think that the ashtray is a door handle. They pull it out and then they don't push it back. So then you have a sharp metal thing sticking out of the door that we pass by a hundred times a day. And so you hurt your arm on that cigarette disposal dangerous item. <laughs> And like some flight attendants will tape it shut, but then that's a violation of the FAA because uh, you have to have a place, you know, you're not supposed to have anybody smoking, but if there is, you need to have somewhere for them to safely put it out. So anytime we see it, we hurry up and put it back because we know we're going to hurt ourselves with it. So then they put this protruding metal uh, for like a man's shoulder level to put this hand sanitizer on, all with good intentions, mind you. But I saw it and I was like, oh. So I was just working this flight from Paris back to the United States. And it, it, I was working with a guy who was kind of um, broad-shouldered and uh, working first class. I'm on one aisle, he's on the other. And it wasn't like within like 15 minutes of working the flight, he was like, ow! <laughs> He's like, ah, it's like getting punched in the arm. And I was like, I knew that was going to happen. He's like, well, because especially in first class, where that's protruding is where we go in and out of the galley a million times, running food and beverage out. And it's already, as you are all know, that the spaces are small on an airplane. So it's already a narrow passageway. And now you're putting a protruding metal... <laughs> It's a recipe for disaster. So then a little while longer into the flight, he's like, ah, ah, I can't believe I hit it again. Uh, because it was really shoulder level for him. So like my shoulders are slightly, I'm um, not as tall as him. So I did, I luckily, I was sure I was going to hurt myself with it. But so now the third time he's like, ah, <laughs> I'm like, you're in a boxing match with Purell, and the Purell is winning. And he's like, it's true. So he he, put, he took a little piece of paper, and he put on there, and it was like a boxing match. And I, let's say his name was Bob. And it was like, Bob Zero Soap Three. <laughs> so by the end of the flight, it was Bob Zero Soap Three five. He's like, I'm going to be so black and blue tomorrow. Literally, he was in a fight with soap and the soap 
one. In the last few episodes, I've been reading from my past travel journals from when I was younger, and um, this is it for them. I don't have any more, but this one has some pretty good stories from the Galapagos. This was Ecuador, November 2008. But then uh, I had uh, to connect in Miami to American, uh, and I thought I could get through the airport without going through security again, because I have a lot of liquids. I, in general, have a lot of liquids. Um, I don't like to check a bag, and uh, um, I'm really pale. I need a lot of sunscreen. Uh, Some people would say, well, you can buy sunscreen there. Well, I don't I'm not going to be able to read what's on there. Um, it's not going to be the same kind of sunscreen I want. I need a lot of bug spray. So I have a lot of liquids. So I had thought that I could get through Miami without having to go back through security. Uh, and Or I would be happy to check my bag other than lose all my liquids. But the agent told me, because I had been running late and I had to run through the airport, that it was too late to check a bag. I didn't know what to do. So... I've had to do this a few places. I've done it in Japan. I've done it in Miami. I've done it in Paris. You just put your bag on that belt and you just cross your fingers and go, Ooh, I hope they don't, I hope they don't stop me. I've had, uh, in Paris one time, I think I was going to Madagascar. The guy goes, you have a lot of liquids. And I'm like, I know. I didn't want to check a bag and it's all sunscreen and, um, and bug spray and conditioner and hairspray. I'm going to be gone for two weeks. And he was like, well, don't do it the next time. And I was thinking, what are the chances I'm going to see this guy the next time I'm going through making a connection as a passenger through Paris? Anyway, but I did that in Miami on the way to Ecuador, where I was going to be going to the Galapagos. And I just, I just crossed my fingers and my toes. And sure enough, that bag came out the other side and I made it through. And I got a whole row and coach and the American flight attendants were fantastic. They even gave me a bottle of champagne to go. What sweethearts. November 13th, I got up and went out to look around and find coffee. I met a guy from Finland who said he was robbed twice in four days. Well, That influenced my decision to hurry up and buy the airplane tickets to the Galapagos. I don't want to stay around here if uh, this guy has been robbed twice in four days. He said he knew someone who was robbed twice in one day. Well, despite his warnings, I ventured out to Old Town and saw magnificent old churches, cobblestone streets. I found a great spot in Old Town called uh, Fruteria and where you get fresh fruit with raspberry sauce and whipped cream. November 14th, the flight to the Galapagos, and then a bus, a ferry, another bus got me to got me to the island of Santa Cruz without a hotel reservation. I did this on purpose because I wanted to look at, um, I knew there was going to be plenty of availability. Most people who go to the Galapagos are on a prearranged tour with a really expensive live aboard boat, and I was doing it not the normal way. So I drugged my bag to five hotels and decided upon Lobo de Mar. It was $75 a night with a great view, but not all that clean, really. The first time I realized where I really was when I took a a look about town and got scared by a group of 10 giant iguanas. I booked a half-day tour for the next day and walked down to the Charles Darwin Center. There, I got my first look at the giant turtles. I also went down to the beach, and I was amazed by the iguana. There were hundreds of them. I took a ton of pictures. It's like when you're in Africa, 
your first sight of a zebra is like so exciting. It's a zebra. It's a zebra. And by the end of the trip, you're like, yeah, more zebras. <laughs> Same thing with the iguanas. Have you ever mentioned the faux pas of congratulating someone that, that they're pregnant? Oh, goodness. I don't ever. I, I don't care if they're right about to pop. I never, ever, 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 ever say anything about pregnant until they say it. Well, you know, the flight attendant that had the, the uniform the, and it kind of had that empire waist. And some people, you know, wear, you know, things that they really... Yes. Yes. Yeah, people, they and think that they can get away with something and they can't. Yeah, we did have that empire waist dress, which could, you know, potentially look like a... Maternity dress. Yes. Yeah, and it was like, uh, you know, um, this passenger got on and said, you know, oh, when do you expect Oh, my gosh. <laughs> So in my new community, there's a lot of trees, and it's there's a I'm on the water, the marsh water, and uh, and I've been kayaking, which is fantastic. But and sometimes the dolphins will come right by my kayak, and I basically do a seal clap, like oh, get so excited, never gets old. And um, but the thing is, there's bugs. You know, there's always a price for everything. <laughs> Lots of times it's not money; it could be sweat or tears or blood. And for me, it's these uh, noceums, little gnats. And one day I didn't put any, I don't like to use the DEET, um, but sometimes you just have to. And my arms were like polka dotted, which is very frustrating. So I was talking to the nice uh, young guy who works at the pool because I like to swim. And I was saying how I said, because he's outside all day. And I said, aren't, don't the bugs bother you? And he said, oh, I've got this great, um, this great secret for bugs. And I was like, well, what is it? And he said, it's, um, it's African-American hair sheen spray. Like he was being nice. And actually it's not called, back in the day, it was called Afro sheen, but now it's called nourishing sheen spray. And he's like, it's in the African-American section at the store and um, I'll bring you a picture of it tomorrow. So nice of him. So I was all excited. I'm like, I need some Afro sheen. I need some Afro sheen. <laughs> so as soon as I got the picture, I went straight to the store and the part of the store is called, um, it's in the hair stuff, but it's uh, multicultural. So it's actually all much more PC. So I probably shouldn't call it Afro sheen, but that's what it was called back in the day. But this stuff, it's ORS, O-R-S, olive oil, nourishing sheen spray infused with coconut oil. Now this is not a sponsor. I just thought it was great. And it's like under $5 for a really big can of this. And I thought, oh, it must stink, but it smells really good. So uh, I went straight to the store, got myself, and I put this on my um, Amazon page. It's uh, amazon.com slash shop slash skybetty uh, in case you don't want to have to write down the name of the product. But get this. So I get like then I decide, you know, I love an experiment. So I thought I'm going to go kayaking and I'm going to put my sheen spray on one arm and the deet on the other arm and guess what they both worked the same this stuff and it's it's pretty natural it's olive oil infused with coconut oil and it smells good so then i was like thrilled to uh share 
my my newfound secret ingredient with my neighbors. So we were getting together for dinner at an outdoor place, and I have my big can of Afro Sheen, and everybody's like, oh, let me try it. Oh, let me try it. And there's about eight tables outside at this place, and every single table, because you could smell it, came over and was like, what are you spraying? It smells so good. And I'm like, it's the Afro Sheen. And they're like, the what? <laughs> and then they're taking pictures of it. So there's going to be a run in the area. <laughs> and then another couple, another family comes over and she's like, what is that? Cooking spray? And I was like, no. <laughs> but it works and it's a hit. I'd like to thank any of you who were so kind. You took an extra second out of your busy day and when you were going to buy something on Amazon and you went to my website, BettyInTheSky.com, you clicked through any of the Amazon links. It doesn't cost you any more, but it supports the show. And I like to see what people buy. Somebody bought a Wild Republic armadillo plush stuffed animal. Somebody else bought a Mother's Mythical Creature Cookies. And you could also buy the Ors Olive Oil Sheen, Afro Sheen Spray. Uh, and I thank you so much for your support. And I have one other little announcement that I'm excited about. Finally, it took forever, the audiobook for the Tar Pack, the fourth book in the Tar Collection, A Power Trip Through Ecuador in Laos, is out. It took forever because they kept um, saying that it was too loud or there was background noise, so I had to keep re-recording it, <laughs> but it is finally out. This next little story is from a podcast I like called Unqualified with Anna Ferris, and her guest was Gwyneth Paltrow. Gwyneth, has a stranger ever changed your life? I think certainly in lots of little ways. I can't think of anything like, oh, you know, someone said this and, you know, it saved my life or something. But, you know, I've had these moments like I remember once I was on a flight. I think I actually put this on Instagram because I was so touched. But this flight attendant gave me a note that said, like, I was once a daddy's girl, too, or something. It was like right after my dad died. Oh. And I felt so seen and like I felt that human nature can be so kind. And what a generous way to deliver that message. I know. It was so sweet. That sticks out to me. That's really beautiful. I love that lady wherever she is. <laughs> this flight attendant was telling me that the pilot had gone out to do his walk around around the plane to see if anything's wrong and comes back on the plane and says, I need help. And they're like, Huh? And he turns around and I, she didn't remember what he did, but he managed to rip his pants like the entire left butt cheek was ripped and like the flap was hanging down and it was nothing but underwear. You know, not a good look for a pilot. <laughs> and they were like, oh, so um, they tried tape and that didn't work. And so then they were like, well... The one girl was like, well, I have a little stapler, but, you know, stapling somebody's pants while they're on them is rather dangerous. So they um, they tried to stapler and that didn't work. So what they had to do was just give him a blanket to like wrap like a skirt around his pants. <laughs> That's the look that pilots really aim for, a skirt over your pants. 
Dario needed me to write in English since he could talk and understand, but could not write. He suggested that he would take me on a tour at 4 p.m. I took a long walk down the beach. I ran into an iguana crossing an actual sign in the road to stop to look for iguanas. <laughs> I saw a turtle sanctuary with loads of turtles of all ages. They lived to be 150 years old. Next, I went to Concha de Perlas, which is a lagoon with good snorkeling. I saw a big stingray and a sea turtle. It was outstanding. I met Dario and we took a boat to this place and we saw sea lions, blue-footed boobies, iguanas, and penguins. How fun! There are only a few restaurants on the island, so I went to the one next to where I had breakfast. There were three Europeans who were all traveling alone, and they joined me. Afterwards, we went to a bar out on the pier and went uh, to a local bar, Batu, for drinks, and some people were dancing. The one guy was really cute, but his personality was just so-so, eh, so I stayed out till after 12. The next day, I hiked to the Wall of the Tear, a wall the prisoners built. It used to be a penal colony. What is so crazy about the Galapagos is that I love to hike anywhere. But in the Galapagos, you get to see such amazing things. At one point, I had to wait while an iguana the size of a dog got out of the trail. Later, I went back to the Sea Lion, which is the restaurant out on the pier, and I did some more of Dario's homework. <laughs> And one of his friends came to the table. His name was Byron. He's a guide from Santa Cruz. We had a drink, and I said that I was going to get dinner, and he invited himself along. There really wasn't much I could do. He picked the most expensive place there was, and it was just okay. I could tell that he liked me, but I just wasn't into him. He did a thing that men do so often when I'm traveling, where they're like, ah, uh, I have the next two days off, assuming that I want to spend it with them, where they never ask me if I want to spend those days with them. The next day, it was time to take the ferry back to Santa Cruz, but Byron showed up at my hotel, saying he was going back on the ferry also. I knew it was going to be hard shaking him. I didn't want to tell him what hotel I was going to, since I knew he would show up there. So I told him I was going to a different hotel, and then I after I saw him leave, I switched and went back to um, a place called La Peregrina's. And it's a B&B, &B, and it was $20 a night, including breakfast. Can't beat that with a stick. That afternoon, I took a boat trip, and it was really good. I met these two brothers, Ricardo, and, who was from um, San Juan, and uh, Juan Carlos from Ecuador. I saw Byron on my way to the pier, and he seemed upset that I had booked things without him, but, you know, uh, what do I owe him? What's weird is that I gave him no reason to think I liked him, but I still felt like I was ditching him. You know, I still felt bad, but it, I never, I never gave him any indication that I liked him. But the brothers on the trip were great. Juan Carlos was really handsome, married pilot, and both of them were super, super nice. Some Indian people joined us. At one point, um, the pilot saw that there was some trash in the water, and he took his shirt off. He dove in, got the trash, and came back. And the Indian lady, they all had their clothes on. They weren't doing any snorkeling. She was like, oh, wonderful. 
We had a fantastic day snorkeling. We saw sharks, stingrays, turtles, those super fast sea lions, my favorite. And after, I met the brothers at Father Williams. It was like a local place where I had the best meal of the trip. Coconut fish with rice and beans. But the fish is so good. And apparently, the same currents that bring penguins and crazy animals to the Galapagos brings a ton of plankton. So because there's so much food for the fish, the fish there is just like out of this world. And would you believe those guys, the brothers, they bought my dinner. Everyone is so nice. And I managed to avoid Byron to boot. So we're talking about how we can have um, uniform kerfuffles. So often. (laughs) So back when I was a new hire, I was so excited to be flying our president from Dallas to Atlanta. And it was a rainy day in Dallas. And back in those days, sometimes you'd have passengers, especially high-profile passengers like our president, already on the plane with the gate agents. What happened? Well, I was so excited to meet the president. And as I stepped on the plane, it was a little bit wet at the entryway. Anyhow, my foot went straight forward, and I did a split, and I can't do a split. Needless to say, my skirt ripped completely up the back. It was awful, but he didn't notice. The other flight attendant covered for me quick and got me out of there, and we fixed it with some wings. It worked out perfect. Sometimes people don't get my sense of humor, or possibly I talk too fast, so... um, I was talking about earlier, I really like my new community, and uh, they've always been known for being social, but there was they weren't being as social because of the pandemic and all. So uh, it was a Saturday, and there was going to be a free concert in the park, and it was exciting because it's like, oh, goody, it's outside. I was partially vaccinated, and um, it's just nice to get out and meet some of the people in the community because I haven't met that many people. I'm new ish. So uh, my one neighbor was at the concert and she was nice enough. She goes, I'll take you around and introduce you to people, which was very generous of her. So uh, she's taking me around and she's saying, this is Betty. Uh, And I was like, hi. And I said, I'm newish. And I'd get these weird looks. Uh, And she was introducing me to so many people. And I was like, hi, nice to meet you. I'm newish. And apparently the people thought I was saying, Hi, I'm Betty. I'm Jewish. <laughs> Which there'd be nothing, there's nothing wrong with being Jewish, of course, but it'd be a weird thing to lead with. That's the first thing you say to someone. Hi, I'm Betty. I'm Jewish. <laughs> the next day, I took a boat trip to Florinia. <laughs> I have trouble saying some of the things, but uh, the brothers had booked that trip too, so I had friends. It was about two hours to the island, and the island has 120 people who live there. How interesting it would be to live on an island with 120 people. Well, we boarded a bus to drive up the mountain, and I got to, um, they said, well, you can sit on top if you want. And I was like, I want to, and that was a highlight. We went through the forest, and it was really bumpy, and branches kept hitting us. It was like me and three other species only Spanish-speaking people on the bus, and we just laughed and laughed the whole way up the mountain, getting hit with branches. 
The guide, his name was Sebastian. He also goes by Alejandro. He has two names. Anyway, he showed us a bunch of turtles, and he also told us the story of the island. There were ancient people who once lived there, and there were caves and carvings to prove it. They could have been Incan, but people don't really know. But there was also a famous German family who lived there, naked, with no teeth in the caves. <laughs> We went snorkeling at Devil's Crown, which was stressful because it was like really uh, wavy in the ocean and it was difficult getting back in the boat. I bruised and bloodied my knees. Next, we went to the next snorkel spot, which was calmer. The whole trip to the Galapagos was such an adventure. The the beauty of the place, the remoteness, the strange animals, um, the people I met, the brothers were so nice, the, the guide. Actually, that night, um, we I went with the brothers and the guide, uh, Alejandro Sebastian, and um, they even taught me some salsa dancing. It was like my favorite kind of trip. Snorkeling, adventure, nice people, cheap hotel rooms, and a place you'll never forget. Well, that's about it for this episode of Betty in the Sky with the Suitcase. I hope you'll join me again next time so we can travel around the world together. Thanks. Bye.